Very special guest on the chat today. It's the voice of the Bengals, the voice of the Bearcats. It's Dan Hort. You know, some people in life, they can't wait to see Santa Claus. That, that's their that's their big person of interest that they want to meet. To me, when I heard Dan Hort speak to me for the first time, shook my hand, said, Charlie, nice to meet you. It was like meeting Santa Claus. I'll, I'll just put it that way. Listen to his voice on the radio for a very long time, which probably makes him feel a little bit old right now, but he's a veteran in this industry. Uh, very lucky that the city of Cincinnati has him for both the Bearcats and the Bengals. And we're getting into his entire journey right now. But first, welcome on the show, Dan. How are you tonight? Charlie, I'm great. Thank you for the kind words. Much, much appreciated. Uh, unlike Santa Claus, there will be no gifts at the end of this uh, interview, but uh, I'm the lucky one. I appreciate you saying that, but uh, fate worked out very well for me. I didn't grow up in Cincinnati, but it's home now, and I've got two great jobs that I love, so uh, I do consider myself to be the lucky one, not the people listening. No doubt about it. Syracuse guy had your first TV job in Syracuse, and you started out doing a little bit of play-by-play, -play, but also local TV. And I guess your biggest break out of the gate was getting the sports director position at Fox 19 in Cincinnati around the time where the Bearcats were on TV. Fox 19 landed the, the TV rights of the Cincinnati Bearcats with a coach named Bob Huggins and players like Melvin Levitt and Kenyon Martin and Steve Logan. Going back to that moment, do you ever reflect on how much that gig and just landing those games changed your career, the trajectory from going to local TV to play-by-play? -play? Well, I do. Let me backtrack a little bit, though, Charlie, because my real big break was when I graduated from Syracuse and I was hired as the voice of the Syracuse Chiefs, the AAA baseball team in Syracuse. I had dreamed of being a baseball announcer when I was young, so the chance to do AAA ball uh, right out of college was huge. Then I became a TV person in Syracuse, and I enjoyed doing that. But one of the reasons why I was interested in taking the job at Fox 19 was the fact that they had that UC basketball contract. Back then, they did every game that wasn't on network TV, and those were quite a few games back then. It was anywhere from 10 to 15 games a year. So when I moved to Cincinnati and I started doing those games, it was 1996. The Bearcats were number one in the country. I did the games on TV for four years. The last year, they were number one in the country. Kenyon senior year, they were in the top 10 every year. You mentioned some of the names, but it was Fordson, Rubin, Kenyon, Melvin, Logan, Satterfield. I mean, not only Meeker. great players. Yeah, Meeker as well. Not <laughs> only great players, and they were great players, but charismatic players, players that were fun to watch, fun to be around, uh, definitely energized the fan base. So I was really fortunate to do the games on TV for that four-year period. It was great for me professionally and personally. Professionally, because the telecasts were great. David Ashbrock produced those games. He's got something like 50 Emmys on his mantle. He's one of the most uh, accomplished TV people in the Cincinnati market and did a magnificent job. Those games looked as good back then as anything on ESPN or CBS or anywhere. So it was uh, great for me to just be part of that package because the games are so well done. And then personally, it was great for me because I think it kind of established me in the uh, Cincinnati market as a play-by-play -play person. Uh, I, I got to know so many great Bearcat legends and really became, you know, infatuated with the program. So it, it really was a great break for me. Blast from the past, just hearing the words, 
Tonight, American Idol takes a Bearcat bounce as Cincinnati <laughs> looks to demolish DePaul. Did you always do it on purpose to where you had the first letter of said adjective um, before the, the team's name? Like if you said South Florida, it was they looked to spank South Florida. I don't know if you used that one, but it was always you know what I'm talking about, right? Was that on purpose? Uh, it was on purpose, but I can't take credit. So those opens were typically scripted by David Ashbrock. He uh, really put his uh, imprint on the telecast. So he liked alliteration. Uh, that is the proper term for that, I believe. And uh, he wrote some great teases at the beginning of those telecasts that I was uh, happy to read and sound good reading. So you've obviously covered, you know, um, some of the best coaches in UC history, most notably, at least personally, was Bob Huggins. And we know he can get a little fiery, especially, you know, during games um, and in the post games. Did did you and Bob ever butt heads at all as far as from a question that you asked or just a comment that you made on the call? Was that ever something that popped up for you? I'm, I'm assuming it was, but just curious there. <laughs> you assume correctly. Yeah, <laughs> uh, we butted head of, heads a few times. It wasn't necessarily about uh, something that I said on a Bearcat broadcast. You know, unfortunately, there were some issues during those years where the news side of my Fox 19 job came into play and um, you know, just sometimes reporting things that were not favorable for the program uh, caused an issue. I think in Coach Huggins' mind, Fox 19 was televising the games. Maybe they should have been uh, 100% pro Bearcats at all times. And unfortunately, when there's a news side to things, you can't do that. You have to report the news. So in some of those instances, uh, Coach Huggins was upset and made his feelings known and you know, I got called to the principal's office a few times, but having said that, we had a tremendous relationship during the 14 years that uh, that I was here while he was the head coach. And, uh, you know, I've, I've rooted for him ever since. I'm thrilled that he's in the Hall of Fame. It's unfortunate what happened to him that uh, ended his career at West Virginia. But hopefully, you know, over the years or as the years go by, people won't fixate on that and they'll remember the unbelievably successful career that he's had. I know Hudson has a question about the uh, the Crosstown shootout fight. I was at that game. I walked out with about four minutes left at Centos Center, hopped in the car. It was one of the few times that I wanted nothing to do with your post-game coverage, Dan. I, I turned on some music and said, I don't want to listen to anything Bearcats related. It was another loss at the Centos Center. I got home and my dad says, oh, you, you see you see the fight? You, you see what went down? I'm like, what are you talking about? What fight? Take me back to that moment. Obviously, you can't prepare for something like that. You're on the call courtside. What's going through your head as you see, I guess, Gilon Gwen get up in uh, two Holloway's face? Well, I think a lot of people that were there that day sensed that something like that might happen. I remember going to get a Coke at halftime and running into Xavier's athletic director at the time, Mike Babinski, and we both said to each other, I hope the officials get control of this game because something might happen. You could just feel the tension. Obviously, it was a lopsided game, and and that, uh, I think, added to it. So I, I didn't certainly expect it to be a brawl of that magnitude, but I can't say that I was completely shocked that things got out of hand. And then as a broadcaster, when something like that happens, uh, you just try to be as descriptive as you can possibly be. So uh, it uh, it was the one time I've done boxing play-by-play, -play, unfortunately, and hope that I don't ever do it again. How was uh, how was Mick Cronin? Uh, we all I know we all saw, and as a, as fellow mem members of the uh, of the Bald Club over here, 
uh, with uh, Mick, yourself, and, and me. How was his reaction? You probably spoke with him after that game. I know he had the press conference where he said, I, I don't know if I have a job anymore. I was just curious, what was um, what was Mick like? And you can even kind of go broader than that, working with Mick, um, obviously so close that you did. Well, I thought he handled himself in the post-game news conference incredibly well after that event. I really thought it was kind of a turning point moment for him because I think – you know, he he came in under challenging circumstances. People didn't want Coach Huggins to leave. Uh, I think anybody that had replaced him would have faced a lot of scrutiny scrutiny in those early years, and it uh, took a while for Mick to get the program where he wanted it to go. So that was challenging. Uh, but I think a lot of Bearcat fans heard what he said that day and thought, you know what, this guy's got his heart in the right place. He loves the university. He loves the city. And uh I thought that was a good moment for him. But before he did that news conference, typically the UC coach will come out and join me and my color commentator courtside for the post-game interview. In that case, he wasn't going to come walking out into the Cintas Center after what had transpired. So I went into a, like an auxiliary locker room. It was just me and him in that locker room to do a post-game interview. And, you know, he was as tense as anybody I've ever been around for obvious reasons. Um, and he handled himself well in that interview. And then, like I said, I thought he really handled himself ex extremely well when he addressed everybody in his post-game news conference. And Mick Cronin is, I would say on the Mount Rushmore of Cincinnati sound bites in, in of all time, you didn't realize it in the moment, but when you go back after and listen to some of his sound bites and the quotes that he had, and not just that press conference, but you know, after some of his losses where he got really intense, or after wins where he said, We're having, you know, we're having tryouts, we're everyone on campus is invited, you know, it, just some of the stuff that he said, I, I miss that. Um, you know, Wes is is a lot of things, incredible recruiter, great coach, ton of charisma, but he doesn't give you those same sound bites. And I know that Daneman and Rao and those guys at Fox 19 and, and just throughout the tri-state. Um, are, are missing those Mick Cronin sound bites that they can play on the 11 p.m. news. But uh, let's go with Dan Hord's Mount Rushmore of UC Hoops games. I have a uh, I have a four pack for you here. Obviously, okay. Mount Rushmore, it's four. I want to see if I'm missing anything or if I just completely missed all four. Ooh, you may have not nice. called some of these. I, I don't know about the timeline, but it sounds okay. like if you were it's calling games and uh, yeah, if you were calling games in '96, I, I like to think that I have all these games down. Okay. All right, so we're going with in no order. Field Williams shot against Louisville to send it into overtime where the, the UC team was wearing the Jordan Deuce trays, the one white shoe, the one black shoe. I remember that vividly. Incredible atmosphere. Uh, Dick Vitale was at the game. Field jumped up on the scorer's table. Love it. Logan outscores Southern Miss. That, that's a given. I was at that game, actually. Got the tickets for Christmas. The fact that a player outscored a Division One team in a, not power conference, but from the Conference USA, is truly remarkable to this day. I would say Syracuse as number two in Madison Square Garden going down. And then I would say the last win over XU at Fifth Third Arena where Copain hit a deep three. And it was really the introduction of Jaron Cumberland as a Bearcat. Am I am I missing anything? Did I miss all four? Give that was pretty me. good. That was pretty good. So you tipped me off when we corresponded before doing this that you wanted my Mount Rushmore of UC basketball games. So I wrote down four and you actually have two of the four. So I'm very impressed. 
I had the Steve Logan 41 Southern Miss 37 game from February of 2002. Bearcats actually won the game 89 to 37. But Steve Logan is one of two Bearcats all time to have outscored the opposition. The Big O did the same thing when he was 19 years old at Madison Square Garden. First year that he was eligible to play a sophomore year. He had 56. Seton Hall had 54. And I got great mileage out of that game over the years because Chuck Mayshock was Oscar's road roommate for that game in New York City. And uh, every time the anniversary would come up, I would point out that that was the night that Oscar Robertson and his road room roommate, Chuck Mayshock, combined for 56 points. Oscar had 56. Chuck didn't score. So uh, the Steve Logan game is on my list. Uh, Cincinnati beating my alma mater, Syracuse, is on the list. Syracuse was 31-1. and going into that Big East tournament game. That was the only game that Syracuse lost that year where their great center, Fab Mello, was eligible. Uh, A couple of things stand out. Cincinnati could not miss from outside the arc in the first half. Kashmir Wright was pulling up one step past the center court stripe and banging home threes. All were. They all were. Kilpatrick, Parker. Absolutely. And then they had a 17-point lead. The Cuse, as you would expect, you know, they start whittling it down. They get it down to two. Cincinnati has to inbound the ball in the backcourt, and they do what very few coaches have the nerve to do. They throw the deep ball, jumping jack, Justin Jackson catches it, flushes it for the clinching dunk. So uh, even though it was my alma mater and a lot of my college buddies were there because it was at the Garden, uh, that's definitely on my Mount Rushmore of Cincinnati games. I'm going with February of 98, UC 75 to Paul 38, Kenyon's first of his two triple doubles. Now, this was his sophomore year. He had averaged 2.8 points a game as a freshman, so we really didn't think of him as an offensive threat at that point. And in that game, 24 points, 23 rebounds, 10 blocks. It was really the first time that we got a glimpse of what he would become when he was the national player of the year. So the game itself was nothing special, but the individual performance was so incredible that that makes my Mount Rushmore. And then unfortunately there's a loss on my Mount Rushmore of Cincinnati games, Gonzaga 74, Cincinnati 69, Salt Lake City 2003. When your broadcast partner gets ejected from an NCAA tournament game, that winds up on your Mount Rushmore, even if the game didn't turn out the way you wanted it to. To see Chuck uh, or haul him out of his chair and walk his butt out of the arena after popping off to uh, official Mike Kitts, it's got to make my it's got to make my Mount Rushmore just because uh, I'm the only announcer in history whose partner got kicked out of an NCAA tournament game. That is incredible stuff. When you saw Chuck after that game, did he just have a big smile on his face? Was he kind of was he pumped about it? Was he like, can you believe what I just did, Dan? I just I just made history? Or at the time, was he still somewhat fuming like Cronin after the Crosstown shootout somewhat that he didn't fuming, get to finish no. the game? More than somewhat fuming. I think Chuck wanted to uh, find out where the officials were staying in Salt Lake City and try to go p- get a piece of Mike Kitts. Uh, but Chuck, to his credit, uh, you know, endured the jokes for the rest of his life about that game. I would always update his consecutive game streak of not being ejected at the end of every broadcast, uh, which, you know, a lot of people got a kick out of that. 
in his first game after the ejection, a buddy of mine who uh, has a local car, car dealership gave me like a car harness seatbelt that we put on his chair to make sure that he did not get up uh, during the course of the game to get ejected. So Chuck was the best. I miss him. Uh, it was a one of a kind friendship. And uh, that moment was certainly one that uh, very few of us will ever forget. No doubt about it. <laughs> Um, and to, kind of going off that, I know you just listed off a, a ton of players. So this is going to be a, a tough question, but yep. what was, as far as a, a player that you covered, who was the most fun player? I, we can put X player because obviously they got the current guys on the roster, um, excluding John Meeker, of course. But who mm -hmm. was your your most fun player, let's say? And if you want to list a couple, that's fine. But most fun player to cover for you. Melvin Levitt, no hesitation on the answer whatsoever. Mel, to me, was the most entertaining player that we've had of all these great players. He wasn't the best, although he was a great player. But for sheer entertainment, the dunks, the threes, the diving over chairs, going after loose balls, he just had a flair and charisma. I think, unlike any other player that I've seen in a Bearcat uniform, the only player that I've watched in college basketball that even compares for me was Pearl Washington when I was at Syracuse. And you two guys are, are too young to really remember the Pearl. Uh, but just a guy that you couldn't take your eyes off him because of the, the flair and the charisma. And Mel had that in spades. Uh, you know, I had the opportunity to call the famous dunk against Alcorn State where he comes out of the rafters and flushes home the miss from Dewan Baker. I think uh, I made noises that only my wife uh, was supposed to hear on uh, describing that dunk. But, uh, you know, Mel, Mel's my guy. When it comes to just a favorite guy to watch, a person that I found to be the most entertaining, the helicopter was my guy. When you watch that back in, in real time, because I think it's one of the greatest, and I'm not just saying this because you're on the show and I'm biased because I, you know, have been listening to you for years and years, but just the like, I mean, was that you that went with the O? Was it your 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 color commentator comes out of the rafters to jam it home? I have never seen anything like that yeah. in my life. Like that yeah. is incredible stuff that you're not prepared for. I mean, you know, at any time, Mel can do something crazy. James White could do the same thing. But I mean, to see that go down real time, was that just a reactionary call? Like comes out of the rafters to jam at home. Were you planning on that? Like if I ever get one that's so damn good, I'm going <laughs> to sneak this one in there. Like give it to me, break that down. Yeah, no, that's, that's just reacting. Um, you know, hopefully in those moments you say something that fits and I'm glad you liked that call. I was working with Anthony Buford at the time, and I thought Anthony was great as well. Anthony was the person that did the, oh, and then uh, after I finished saying what, what I said, he followed with some great material after that. So, you know, that dunk gets replayed often. So I'm glad that uh, people seem to have liked that call. It was certainly a great, uh, a great thing to witness. What do you think about the team this year? I, I have just received news. This is actually breaking. We're recording this on a Tuesday night that Aziz Bandango and Jamil Reynolds will not be eligible this year. We'll fact check it and snip this out of the podcast if that is not the case. With that being said, now that the Bearcats don't have their, their two bigs entering the Big 12, it's going to be Sage Tolentino. It's going to be Victor Lockin and Odio Guama down low. Size is going to be an issue once again. Houston, I would imagine, will give them some fits, but you add in Jizzle James, you add in Seamus Lukosius, you add in uh, Rayvon Griffith, and a, a bunch of these transfers slash freshmen, 
your overall thoughts on how good this team can be. I think we're pointing to next year. West Miller's team really taking off and having potentially like a top 15 talent again. But this year, could they sneak up on some people or is it going to be a, uh, a learning curve? Well, I certainly hope there are still appeals if that news that you shared is in fact the case and Aziz and Jamil are not eligible. That's a big factor. Now we saw with North Carolina football that there were, you know, legal uh, issues and lawyers got involved and eventually their wide receiver got to play. Maybe something like that can happen with UC's big guys. Uh, watching Aziz practice, he's a pro. I have never seen a better finisher on alley-oops than Aziz Bandago. When Cincinnati played Utah Valley in the NIT last year, I watched a couple of Utah Valley games uh, to prepare for the broadcast, and I'm thinking to myself, this is like the most undisciplined team I've ever seen. They throw alley-oops from everywhere. As soon as they get a rebound, they're like throwing it 75 feet and, and see if this guy can dunk, and sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. And as a, a person just watching those games, I'm thinking, this is crazy. What are they doing? Well, now I know what they were doing. I mean, Aziz, Aziz Bandago is unbelievably gifted at catching and finishing alley-oops from anywhere because he can get his hand to the top of the backboard. He's got great timing. He's got huge hands. It is a weapon. And obviously, he's a tremendous a shot blocker. He was third in the country in that category last year. So if they had him, just him, even if Jamil weren't eligible, I think they have a chance to be really good. If they get them both, I'm pretty confident they'll be really good. If they don't have either, I think they're still going to be solid and entertaining. Uh, Victor Locken's a good player, and he's almost seven feet tall. I don't know how much Sage will play at this point. Odie plays bigger than his height. Uh, you know, he plays a four-man game, even though he doesn't necessarily have the ideal size for that position. And they've added shooting with, with CJ and Lukosius. So I think it's going to be a fun team to watch. I'd like to think they can be uh, very competitive in the Big 12, but obviously it's a brutal league. So it's going to be interesting to see how well they do. Yeah, and with um, Aziz specifically, because we all watched that game and we were watching, you know, Utah Valley, and I'm going, who, um, who is this guy? He looks mm -hmm. like he's playing for the L.A. Clippers and he's playing at Utah Valley. Do you have any, you know, insight as far as, because um, I was thinking the same thing. I was like, we need to get this guy on our team. Um, and how Wes recruited Aziz specifically. Um, obviously, he had entered the portal and then, you know, Wes um, went after him there. Is there any story behind how he um, kind of came to find Aziz in the portal? I don't know the story yet. I'll eventually know it. Um, you know, Aziz played at Akron the year before he played at Utah Valley. So he's got some Ohio ties. I think that was part of his appeal process in trying to get eligible this year. Uh, Abdul Adu is on the coaching staff. I think those two have hit it off based on the practices that I've seen. So, you know, Wes is a really good recruiter as well. So don't underestimate that. I'm sure that the fact that uh, they played Utah Valley, lost to Utah Valley, and Wes had the opportunity to see him face-to-face. -face. Wes was probably able to say to him, listen, I know what you're capable of, of and I know what we can do for your game. Uh, but aside from that, I don't know a lot of the inside nuggets about the, the recruitment, and uh, I look forward to finding them out. 
I would imagine that it was kind of like the situation where I think it was John Brannon and Rapless Ivanowskis. After the game, he just kind of went up to him in the handshake line and said, hey, bud, you ever decide to transfer? <laughs> Cincinnati could be home for you because uh, there, there's no doubt about it. It'll be a nice fit. Let's uh, go one more on the Bearcats before we switch to the Bengals real quick and get you out of here. Jizzle James, I know that you're excited to see the uh, – see the Hall of Famer, Adrian James, in the stands this upcoming season. Is Jizzle someone from day one that you think can make an instant impact, or is he going to be like most freshmen out there where it takes a little bit of time? It's not optional in this case. They need a point guard, and the two guys are both newcomers, and they're both young. So Day-Day Thomas or Jizzle James, it'll be, you know, one or the other is going to be the starter, and they're both going to have to play a lot. They're both interesting players. Day-Day is incredibly explosive. I thought that would be the case with Jizzle, and it is. I mean, I guess I knew it would be the case with Jizzle, and now I found out from watching them that it's also the case with Day-Day. They're both incredibly athletic. Uh, not great outside shooters at this point. They're not terrible. I think they can, you know, keep a defense honest with their outside shooting, unlike some point guards that, you know, we had back in the day. But I don't think either guy is going to be confused for Steph Curry. Uh, but they're both great penetrators. They both have incredible athleticism. I think they'll be good defenders over the course of time. It usually takes freshmen a little while to develop on that end of the court, but they're both going to play a lot. So uh, we're going to see them right off the bat. Dan Horde, voice of the Bengals, voice of the Bearcats. A lot of Bearcats chatter tonight. I'm excited for the season that tips off on November 6th. Uh, year, let's do the math right here. What, what are we talking? Year 27 at the helm for you, Dan? I guess if you include the TV, TV years, it's something like that. My first year on radio as the full-time voice of the Bearcats was the 2000-2001 season, the year after Kenyon. So I guess just going by that, it would be 24 seasons, something or 23 seasons, uh, whatever. My math is bad, uh, but it's been a tremendous run, and I hope I've got 20 more left in me. Joe Buck, I'm sorry, Jack Buck, father of Joe, legendary voice of the St. Louis Cardinals for many, many years. He probably did Cardinals games for 50 years. He stood up at a banquet late in his career in St. Louis, and he said to the audience, I've given the St. Louis Cardinals 40 of the best years of my life. Now you're about to get 10 of the worst. So uh, I hope it's something like that for me. Good stuff. And that is noted. Syracuse, the factory for broadcasters, not mathematicians. Dan, appreciate it. Enjoy the season, man. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Appreciate the kind words at the beginning as well.